0: So it was 1981 and I went to California on vacation with My family, it was the first time I'd been to America. Uh, so this 11-year-old boy uh, got to travel uh, with his family to California on vacation. And it was a fantastic vacation. We loved it. We had a great time. Um, one of the things we did while we was here, we went to Disneyland. And uh, I still remember to this day, I still remember um, my parents give me some money so I could go and buy a, uh, a drink or a snack. And uh, I went up to this little uh, cart there. In Disneyland, where this girl was uh, selling these these drinks, and I and I went up and I said, "Could I have a Coke, please?" This little 11-year-old English boy, and uh, this young college student who was working at Disneyland at the time, beautiful. She looks at me. She goes, "Where are you from?" I said, "I'm from England." And she said, "Just talk to me." I was like, "Okay." No girls in England ever wanted me to talk to them. So I'm like, I am in the best place in the world right now. This is absolutely amazing. Um, and then, who knew? But many years later, I would end up marrying a beautiful young lady from America myself, who also sits on a regular basis and says, just talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, talk to me. Stop. Get up for your laptop. Actually, engage with me here. So. But one of the other things we did, we went to Disneyland, that was cool, we also went to Universal Studios. And I can remember as an 11-year-old boy, we went on this ride, it was like this tram that kind of went around the park, and uh, we went by the Psycho House, and then we went past this lake that Jaws came up out of, and, and then we turned this corner, and this tram appeared to be heading towards the water. We were like, what's going on here? That The road just kind of went right into the middle of the lake, and as we approached the lake, thanks to Hollywood magic, the waters parted. And our little tram, this is a picture of what that ride was like, went through the middle of the water. It was an amazing experience. And the reason this element was a part of Universal Studios is because it was a a reminder of a very famous scene in a movie that had been made at Universal Studios. In fact, when the ride opens, Charlton Heston himself opens the ride. Because he was the man who in the late 50s had had made this movie in which this special effect was used. He was in a movie called The Ten Commandments. He played Moses. And as Moses, he led the people of Israel out of Egypt and the waters parted. And the movie had this incredible, you know, for the 1950s special effect where they saw the waters part and they moved through the water. Maybe some of you have seen that movie. It's an old movie, but maybe some of you have seen it. If not, perhaps you've seen a more recent movie, The Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt was made by DreamWorks. It was a cartoon. And and both movies, The Ten Commandments and The Prince of Egypt, they do a fantastic job of portraying the events in the life of Moses. Great movies. They tell the story of a man named Moses. Now, The only drawback with these movies is um, that Charlton Heston, that DreamWorks depiction of Moses as this chiseled hero of a man, they kind of give the impression that, man, this guy was was larger than life. He was amazing. He was this incredible leader. I could never be like him. But we're actually going to learn over the coming weeks that there was more to Moses, that he wasn't quite the Hollywood hero that he's been depicted. He actually had some weaknesses. He made some mistakes. And yet God still chose to use him, as I said, to lead the entire Israelite Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt and into their own promised land. Over the last few years here at Connect, um, uh, once a year at some point during the year, we'll do a series that just takes a look at uh, a, a person in the Bible. Last year, we looked at Abraham, if you remember that, and years gone before that, we've looked at Jonah and Nehemiah. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the life of this man named Moses. We're going to learn so much about how God called him and used him and and his plan. And the best part of it all is we're going to see that in many ways, Moses wasn't unlike you and me in many ways he was actually kind of kind of ordinary in many ways he's actually kind of maybe wasn't even the best person for God to use and yet God chose to use Moses and did some incredible things through his life so this morning very appropriately on a baby dedication service we are going to start out by looking at the story of the birth of Moses baby Moses how did his life begin So to to set the scene for the the time in which Moses was born, we have to go all the way back about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. You might remember there was a story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was one of many brothers, and uh, Joseph was an Israelite, and um, his brothers were jealous, so they actually uh, sold him into slavery. As a slave, he was taken to Egypt. But God had a plan for Joseph. God has, has had his hand upon the life of Joseph. And Joseph started out in a prison in Egypt, but finally found himself second in charge of all of the country. He rose to this this fame. And actually, there came a point where his brothers came and realized who he was, and they feared for their lives. And Joseph said, do not fear. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. It was God's plan to bring me on this crazy journey that I've been on to find myself today second in charge of all of Egypt. So despite being a Jew, Joseph has this incredible position of power and authority in Egypt. He's doing amazing things. About 500 years later, about 1500 BC, Moses comes along. So let's read about what the country looks like now. Just 500 years after Joseph comes to Egypt. Exodus 1, verses 6 through 14. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. You know, it's incredible. I, I plan out the series that we're going to teach on the year before. So back in the fall of 22, I was kind of planning out what we were going to speak on. And that's when I decided that, you know, in October of 2023, we'll talk about Moses. Obviously, back then, I had no idea how relevant some of these stories will be in light of all that's going on in the Middle East. We're learning here that that Moses was a part of a people group that faced persecution thousands of years ago. And we know from history that the Jews have continued to face persecution throughout the centuries. So just a few generations before, they are in this position of power. And now shortly after joseph's been forgotten his countrymen have grown in number and as is often the case with many different ethnicities and people groups throughout history fear comes in and causes people to do cruel and horrible things that verse said if we don't and if war breaks out they will join our enemies and fight against us the jews had done nothing at this point they'd shown no signs of doing anything but the egyptians driven by fear turned on the jews not enough to just keep them in slavery. They decide, we're not just gonna enslave them, we're gonna try and and lower the population. We're gonna try and wipe out this people group. So listen to the plan Pharaoh comes up with in Exodus 1, verse 15. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shiphrah and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders and they allowed the boys to live too. So after putting the Israelites into slavery, Pharaoh moves to the second stage of his plan. The second stage of his plan is to kill all the Israelite baby boys. Fortunately, the midwives who've been asked to do this, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They decide not to follow through on the order he's given them. This is such a heroic act that their names are recorded, Shifra and Puah. If you read through the beginning of Exodus, there are many key figures who play a role in the life of Moses, and many of them go unnamed. But these two ladies' names, these two amazing women of God, their great bravery and their um, commitment to follow God over Pharaoh means that thousands of years later we still remember who they are not just for their courage but for their wisdom and creativity because listen to how they justify their actions when Pharaoh called them and says hey why aren't you doing what I told you to do so the king of Egypt called for the midwives why have you done this he demanded why have you allowed the boys to live is their response the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women the midwives replied they are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply growing more and more powerful and because the midwives feared God he gave them families of their own this was their defense this was their um, argument to Pharaoh they said hey we're trying these, these Egyptians, these Israelite women, they just keep having these babies. We can't get there in time. So finally, the cruel Pharaoh, he puts in place the third part of his plan to destroy this people group. Exodus 1, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So now it's become a a nationwide edict. Pharaoh says, anyone and everyone has permission to take the life of these Hebrew boys. And it's against this backdrop that we're going to learn this morning that Moses, a baby boy, is born. I don't know about you here this morning, but if I were God, that was the worst possible time (laughs) to bring Moses into the world. 500 years ago, Joseph was so powerful and so popular, bring Moses in then. God, why would you wait till the bleakest, most difficult, most most challenging time to bring this leader into the world? I think it's because there's a lesson we can all learn here this morning from the story of the birth of Moses. No matter how bad things look, nothing will stop God's plans from being accomplished. No matter how bad, how bleak things might look in your life right now, nothing will stop God from seeing his plans accomplished. That's great news for us this morning. Maybe there's something God wants to birth in your life right now. There's something you're feeling a passion about, something you want to see happen in your life, and you're looking at the circumstances. You're looking at the situation you find yourself in. You're saying, I don't know that it's possible for this to happen right now. But with God, all things are possible. So let's find out this morning how this happened with Moses, because it really is an incredible story. So now we jump to Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus 1 kind of brings us the the history of where we find ourselves. And then Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, opens like this. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby, and she kept him hidden for three months now think about this for a second this is a culture a country where there is a a nationwide um, rule that anyone who finds a Hebrew baby boy they have permission to throw him into the river and this mother for three months has managed to keep this baby hidden from everyone now if you're a parent this morning of a baby you know that's not easy <laughs> All three of my children uh, traveled to England very early on in their lives. In fact, with their permission, I found their passport pictures. These were their passports when they were babies. There's Ben up there. He was born on the 3rd of November, 2000. His uh, passport was issued on the 22nd of November. <laughs> 21 days after his birth, he had a passport. In fact, I remember me and Casey, that's him in his car seat at Walgreens in Washington. We were holding him up <laughs> so they could take the p- picture these pictures were good for five years we traveled to england with our children when they were five years old and this was the picture we showed i could have taken any child to england i really could have taken anyone i wanted because this was their identification as i said i asked permission of my children to show these pictures they said you can as long as you show one of your passport pictures i didn't have one as a baby but this was the passport (laughs) (laughs) that i came to america in the early 90s with so you laugh. There was a young lady from South, Southern California who wanted to hear this guy speak as much as possible. So, <laughs> I remember when all three of my children, I think Emma was the, the oldest when we took her to England for the first time. She was three months old. I remember getting on the plane. You imagine the other passengers when you walk on with a three-week-old baby. Or when we were traveling with Will with a, a, a one-month-old baby and his two-month brother or Emma at three months, and they're five and seven-year-old. I think passengers had to be looking thinking, oh, no. Because it was a night flight. If you fly to England, you fly through the night. And I can see people looking at us thinking, don't sit near me, don't sit near me. <laughs> seven hours that flight lasted. We tried everything to keep them quiet. We put them to sleep, we nursed them, we let them play with toys, we did whatever we could. But it was inevitable that at some point during that flight, they were going to let us know they were ready to get off this plane they would make some noise. That was just seven hours on a plane. For three months, we learned that Moses' mother kept him as a baby hidden. Now you realize this is a very difficult task. So there came a point where she must have realized, I cannot keep doing this. I'm living on borrowed time here. The fact that he's survived this long is a miracle. So we're gonna learn this morning that that Moses' mother, she had faith but she also knew she needed a plan. She had faith, but she also knew she needed a plan. Because I want to tell you this morning, faith and planning, they go hand in hand. Faith and planning go hand in hand. There was a um, famous phrase during the Revolutionary War, and it probably applies to this today. The soldiers would say, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. We can have faith, but, but let's have a plan as well. Sometimes I'll meet people who are trusting God for something. They'll say, I've lost my job and I'm praying right now that God will help me find a new one. I'll say, that's awesome. Have you, have you applied anywhere? Have you put your resume together? Have you got a, a job in the meantime just to help make ends meet? Nope, just trusting God. He's going to find something for me. Well, it's great to have faith in God, but sometimes we need to put a little action behind that faith. Sometimes we need to say to God, okay, I trust you, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see you work in my life. And that's exactly what we find Moses' mother's doing. She trusted God, but she knew she had to do something or her baby was going to be found out and killed. So listen to the crazy plan that she came up with. Exodus 2 verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby Moses in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. This was her plan. Now maybe you grew up in church, maybe you went to Sunday school as a child and and you can still picture that flannel graph um, picture in the Sunday school classroom when they stuck the picture of Moses' mom and then they stuck the picture of the basket right there on the river. And maybe the way you recollect the story, maybe the way you remember the story is that it was just this random act where she set him in the river and off he floated and she was like, God, I hope he ends up somewhere good. But actually, when you read this, there's more to her plan. Yes, she trusted God, but she was a pretty wise woman. She'd come up with this very crafty and meticulous plan. She actually intentionally puts him in this basket in a specific spot on the river. She doesn't just let him float away randomly. She puts him amongst these reeds. The reason being, she'd seen something happen on a regular basis in this area of the river. And she's got this idea for a crazy plan that just might work. Exodus 2, verse 5. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, because this was the spot where she came every time she wanted to bathe in the river. When she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of those Hebrew children, she said. You see, Moses' mom knew this was where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. She knew that she wouldn't be able to take care of Moses herself any longer. But there was a possibility, a chance, that maybe if Pharaoh's daughter found this baby, she would rescue him. Even though the command of her father was to throw every Hebrew baby boy into the river. She was just trusting that this young lady, this, this maybe this maternal side of this young lady would see this baby crying, feel sorry for him, and want to do something about it. Now, this might seem like a bit of a Hail Mary attempt by Moses' mom, a long shot, but I think she thought this out. You see, what we don't know just from reading uh, the pages of the scripture there is that the Egyptians considered the Nile, this river, to be one of their gods. The Nile was a god that the Egyptians worshipped. So would the princess believe that the river god had delivered the child to her? Moses' mom was hoping so. But how could she know for sure? She couldn't. She had a plan and she had faith. She did something, but then she said, God, it's up to you. Here's my plan. Here's here's all I can do. I can put this baby here. I can hope and pray that this this Egyptian woman will see this baby in the, the Nile, one of the gods she worships, she'll see as a gift from the gods to her. She'll feel sorry for the baby, and she will keep him alive. But this is all I can do. And listen, this is just absolutely incredible. Listen to what happens next. Then the baby's sister, who'd been watching from afar, she approached the princess. She'd seen the baby. She says, shall I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told Moses' mother. I will pay you for your help. (laughs) So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. What a miraculous outcome. Not only does Moses get to live in a culture, in a situation where really he should have died, he's rescued, and then his own mother is paid to continue to raise him. This is why I love the idea of of what we can learn, that man, when, when we look with our eyes at the situation, it can seem impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible, I think he just loves to, to, to show up and do more than we could ever imagine. It's like God's showing off and saying, yeah, I know you're hoping that the baby will survive. Wait till you see how much better it's actually going to be. He goes one better. He makes it work for Moses' mom to be the person who raises him. I love the words of Paul in the New Testament. He's writing to the Ephesian church. He says this, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. I just, even in my life, in the last 10 years here at Connect, time and time again, I have this idea, well, if God would just do this, I think we would be okay. And he does infinitely more. Every time I set my faith level at a certain place, he exceeds that. And I think he wants to do that in our lives. But we can't just sit back and pray and hope. Sometimes we have to have a plan. Sometimes we have to take that first step. Moses' mother, she she put her baby and she trusted God. She said, God, I'm trusting you with my son. Would you please just keep him alive? And God says, not only will I keep him alive, I'm gonna work it that for the next several years of his life, you will raise him. You will be his mother. The daughter of Pharaoh himself will pay you to raise your son. Exodus 2.10. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses. For she explains the name means I lifted him out of the water. So we don't know how long Moses was raised by his mom. It doesn't tell us. But there came a time when she had to release her son into the full-time care of Pharaoh's daughter. And as sad as this is, You imagine any mother having to do that, having to raise this child and then one day pass them on. That would be so hard, but I think Pharaoh's mother knew that she was grateful. God, thank you for these years, for these formative, these early years. Thank you, God, that I was able to be his mother. Scientists tell us that the human brain, the command center of the entire body, is the only organ not fully developed at birth. At birth, the average baby's brain is about a quarter of the size of the average adult brain. Incredibly, it doubles in size in the first year. And it keeps growing to about 80% of the adult size. By age three, it's at 90%, nearly full grown. At 90% by age five. In that time, children develop from being almost entirely dependent newborns to independent, communicating individuals who can dance, sing, and tell stories. So by the age five, the baby's brain goes from being, um, what did I say, a quarter of the size that it should be to 90% in those formative years. Parents of teenagers here this morning are saying, yeah, but the extra 10% doesn't come till their early 20s because my kids still do some, some dumb things. <laughs> but those early parts of Moses' life were spent listening to a mother and a community. The Israel, the Jewish community was very community driven. They, they would raise as a, as a village, they would raise their children together. So Moses' mother and people in the community, they would raise Moses and tell him stories of of God and how he brought them to the place they're in and why they are in slavery in Egypt and and that he was loved and that he had a family who loved him. And all of these are going into Moses' mind. So before he even moves into the palace, he knows who he was. I think the beginning of Moses' life is truly Miraculous. With the odds of his survival stacked against him, he's not only born safely, but then raised by a mother and then by a princess. And this was, as we're going to find out in the coming weeks, all part of the incredible preparation process that God had for Moses' life. So this morning, every one of us here this morning, from the babies we prayed for to their moms and dads and grandparents, be encouraged. None of you here this morning were an accident. Whatever you've ever heard spoken over you or whatever you've ever heard about um, how you came into this world. Maybe you've grown up in a family that loved you. Maybe you grew up through a foster system. I don't know how you came here, but God knows every single one of you and he loves. We've just finished a series three weeks just reminding us again and again and again how valuable and how loved and how precious every one of you is. Whatever your story, you were born with a purpose and a plan and God knew all about you And he knows you now. And he loves you so much. And wherever you find yourself this morning in your journey, your understanding of who God is, he he loves you no matter what. He would love for you to love him back. He would love for that relationship to be whole where you love him and he loves you and he's a part of your life. But even if you're not there yet, he still loves you, pursues you. Those families this morning who had their children dedicated. Like I said, they watched a couple of videos uh, prior to this morning. The title of the two videos were Beginning with the End in Mind. Beginning with the End in Mind and Widen Your Circle. Beginning with the End in Mind and Widen Your Circle. Beginning with the End in Mind is how we came up with those words that we prayed for those families this morning. When you think of your, your infant who you're holding right now, as you look ahead to them becoming a middle school or a high school or a young adult, an adult with children of their own, what do you picture? What's, your, what's the end that you would love to see happen? And we came up with words like brave and loyal and gentle and someone who follows Jesus. Because when we know what the end is, then we as parents, we as a church family, we start to plan towards that end if we want these, these children to grow up to, to know that Jesus loves them, that they have a, then we're gonna create an environment here at church where from the nursery to middle school to high school, they will hear again and again that Jesus loves them, that he wants a relationship with them, that they are special, that whatever they're hearing in middle school and high school that may go against that, when they come here, they know that God loves them just the way they are. Beginning with the end mind. God knew that one day Moses would do amazing things And I think through the nurture of his Hebrew mother, through that life and leadership that he learned in the Egyptian household, God was shaping him into a passionate, committed, God-fearing leader who would one day become the man that he became. That's what happened here this morning on this stage. These parents said, God, thank you for bringing this child into our life. Now we, we give him to you. We give her to you. We will raise this child the best we can, but we trust you, God. We trust you. That's what Moses' mother did when she set him in the river. God, I'm trusting my son into your hands. We release control and we trust God to work in the lives of our sons and daughters. As an adult here this morning, maybe you need to release control of your life. Say, God, I've been trying to do it all my own way. I've been trying to figure things out. But I still find it's just not really working the way I think it should. God, I wanna come to that place myself where I release control and say, God, take my life. Lead me, guide me. Because I've learned this morning that a mother who trusted you with her son got to see the miraculous at work. So God, I wanna trust you with my life. I wanna see the miraculous at work in my life. And secondly, by doing this publicly this morning, these families were choosing to widen their circle. They were saying, we could do this all on our own. But how crazy would that be? Why wouldn't we want to invite our family who are here this morning visiting, our friends who have come to support us this morning, our church family, why wouldn't we say, hey, we need you as well. As we raise these sons and daughters, we can't do this alone. Moses' mother could not have done that alone. There would be people in the community who helped her keep him hidden. Once uh, once he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, there would be others who would help as she raised and nurtured him. This people group would have surrounded her and said, we are in this with you. Don't just make church a box that you check. I'll try and go once, twice, a few times a month, whatever it may be. Look to this as your community. Widen your community, whether you're a parent raising a child or whether you're an adult here this morning. This community, God wants you to widen your circle To do life with people who love you and support you, have the same values, the same beliefs as you, who want to say, yeah, I'm with you. And whether it's raising your own children or looking at your own life, I think we can all learn this incredible lesson from the birth of Moses this morning. No matter how bad things look, nothing will stop God's plans from being accomplished. This was a baby boy, who was born into a terrible situation, to a people group that was suffering and being persecuted. Everything working against. And God brings Moses, who we're going to find out in the coming weeks was this incredible leader that God used. This was the time in history that God brought him into the world. Almost as if to say, when it looks like it's at its worst, that's when I can do my best. I hope and pray that wherever you're at in your life right now, that you will experience that same God who wants to do the miraculous, wants to do his best in your life also. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And I love when we get to have these series where we just kind of focus in on the life of uh, an individual in the Bible. Because the reality is, God, we could just tell their story and leave encouraged. Because it's incredible the way you work in the lives of these people in the Bible. It's incredible as we study them, we realize just how ordinary they are. How how flawed many of them are. And then we relate to them. Because we see those same weaknesses, those same flaws in us. And if all we did was learn about these, these individuals in the Bible, I think we'd leave encouraged. Thinking, man, what a great example that is of God at work. But God, I pray this morning that thousands of years later, some of those principles that we see in the life of Moses, some of those things we learned this morning about the backdrop in which you chose to allow this baby boy to be born would encourage us not to look around at the world around us, not to look at the situation we find ourselves in and think, oh, this could never happen. Look at the situation. God, you wanna do miraculous things and you won't be stopped by anything. Help us to take uh, encouragement from that this morning that in our lives, you wanna work those same miracles. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.